Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome in. This is episode 47 of Blue Jays Nation Radio and the Toronto Blue Jays are coming off another series victory. It's been a while since they've actually dropped a series. I'm Tyler Rumchuk. He's Cameron Lewis. Um, Cam, I am back in Edmonton. I'm safe and sound. My flight home was great, but uh, I had a fantastic two days watching the Toronto Blue Jays in, in Toronto, in the Dome. Dome Sweet Dome. That's our shirt, nationgear.ca, Verdian Global. Um, I really enjoyed watching the game with you, Cam. What was your favorite memory from the weekend in Toronto? What did you get up to? Give it, give everybody a little uh, a breakdown of your, your, what was it, 48 hours in the six? Yeah, so like I was in Chicago for an NHL media thing, and then I was supposed to have like a three-hour layover in Toronto on my way back, and I wouldn't have gotten back to Edmonton till like after midnight when I flew back on Friday. Um, so I was just kind of like, you know what? Why not stick around in Toronto uh-huh. for a couple of days? So landed yep. in Toronto at 7.30 on Friday nights. So I didn't make the Friday game. Didn't actually miss much in the Friday game, so that was all good. <laughs> um, and then Saturday, Sunday, just watched both Jays games and flew back like immediately following the Jays win on Sunday. Like I stood in the outfield right by the gate. I had to rush out, like watched Romano throw the final out or final pitch. I was out the door on a plane like an hour and a half later. Um, but it was a ton of fun, man. Like people who live in Toronto never forget how lucky you are that you can just go watch that baseball team whenever you want. Cause for me, it is like the event of the year when I get out to Toronto to watch them play. And I try, I try to get out once a year to go see it last or last couple of years, the pandemic kind of fucked that. Um, but it was great, man. Like open dome, not a, not a cloud in the sky, saw some big home runs. It was a perfect weekend of baseball. And also another thing to add is that the Blue Jays are five and zero in games that I have attended this year. Five and zero. Really? Yes. I went to two when they first got back. I was at the first one against Kansas City. Yeah. So that was uh, Stripling pitch. That one was pretty good. They won handily. I went to the same one. The next one on Sunday that was the Brios debut. They won that one as well. And then there was a random Baltimore game in there, like a Monday night game that kicked the shit out of them. This is like right when they started their winning streak. I think it was. It might have been before that Oakland comeback when they started to go nuclear. And then. This week, I went to two. I went to the Tampa Bay win where they knocked Michael Walker around and Ray started and was fantastic. And then we went to the game on Sunday. So 5-0 and for me. So if anybody listening to this wants to pay my way to every single game for the rest of the season, I won't say no because I'm a good luck charm. Absolutely, Coombsy. Absolutely. Um, before we keep going, the podcast, as always, is brought to you by DoorDash. Use the promo code BJNPODDD. It gets first-time users of the app 25% off and no delivery fees. If you can't make it to the game like Cam, or you're outside of Toronto like me, 
order DoorDash, have a stadium experience in your own living room. Um, and I guarantee you the beers are cheaper than they are at the Rogers Center because oh, that God. was insane. Yes. I swear they're more expensive now than they used to be. They must have jacked up the price to compensate for 15,000 people being in the stands because I don't remember buying two beers and having the card machine read $33. That is yeah. a whole different animal. Like, and I mean, out here in Edmonton, people always complain about how expensive uh, like mm-hmm. beers are at Oilers games, but they're like no. 12 bucks for a 20 ounce or at an Oilers game. You get in one of those King cans at the dome. It's like 17 bucks and then like PST okay. on top of it. This Alberta boy shakes his head at paying PST. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> let's dig into uh, the series that we saw against Minnesota. It's three up, three down. Brought to you by Twig and Berries at the twigandberries.ca. Use that promo code NATION15. Gets you 15% off. Uh, they won the series. We're starting with the ups. And who would have thought that the best pitching performance the Toronto Blue Jays got would come from Steven Matz? He went five and two thirds. He gave up only three hits, only two earned, walked two struck out five really the only damage that was done was a josh donaldson first inning home run other than that i mean hat tip to steven matz that was a really really solid start yeah we're gonna talk in the downs about hyunjin ryu as everyone listening to this knows is obviously going to be a down but one thing that's made it very easy i don't know if i'd say easy per se that's that's kind of a stretch but one thing that's made it more more stomachable yeah yeah more 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 acceptable to navigate this ryu struggle is the fact that Steven Matz has gone back to being exactly where he was in April, which is very good. So since August, he's made nine starts. He's pitched in those nine starts, 50.1 innings, and he's got an ERA of 250. And the Jays have won, let's see, win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, 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 win. So they've won his last four outings. And he's been really good. It was just the the only bad outing you have here, and it wasn't even that bad. It was six innings. He allowed five earned runs against Baltimore, but that was the time they scored 700 runs. So it didn't matter, but... Matz has gone from being a guy that we all we all like early in the season earlier in the season. Remember when he started to struggle and he was you know in like June, July, and then he got COVID, and everybody was like, "Jesus, should this guy even be on the roster? Like maybe throw him in the bullpen and make him a lefty, see what happens." Since then, like he's you know gone even beyond just being a good number five. He's been like a good middle of the rotation guy. We're at a point now where it seems very inevitable that the Jays would offer Matz a qualifying offer at the end of the season, which I don't think most of us thought two months ago at all. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like bringing him back next season. Um, we had a really interesting conversation when we were at the game about what they could do with some of the players they need to bring back. But I mean, for Steven Matz, yeah, if he's the guy kind of at the bottom of your rotation, that's it, it's hard to complain about that, especially considering what we've seen from him as of late. Like if you go into next season and I mean, let's just say they bring back Robbie Ray and you're throwing mm-hmm. out there Ray Barrios. Manoa. Manoa. Ryu and Matt. Yeah, Ryu and Matt. That's, I mean, keep your rotation the same as it was. Like, that's that's a good enough rotation to not just make the playoffs, but like, I think potentially win the division. Like, that's a really, really good rotation. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, the key really is, uh, the key is obviously signing Robbie Ray. And I mean, yeah. this doesn't really have anything to do with Matt's, but <laughs> the key is getting Robbie Ray inked long term. But these are mutually exclusive things. And I do think that regardless of what happens with Ray, I think the Jays would be silly not to at least qualify Matt's. Like, yeah. I, given the season he's had, even if he declines that qualifying offer to look for something more, which I, I mean, to be honest, I think he would accept it. And do another season with Pete Walker and then try and get paid in the offseason. I think he looks at Robbie Ray. And is like, all right, another season with Pete Walker, I can do very well and make a lot of money. Yeah, like I think be, it's made, yeah, it makes sense for everybody, right? 
Yeah, and he doesn't turn 31 until next May. So, like, if he has a good 31-year-old season, there's every, and like a really good 31-year-old season, obviously not like Robbie Ray level. But if he were to come through next season and pitch the whole year and be good for them, there's every reason to think he'd probably get like a three-year deal from someone, maybe not major money, but like someone would pay him for his age 32 to 35-year-old seasons. Yeah, you think that Matt's puts up a good year next year, you can get the Dallas Keiko contract three years, like 45, 50 mil kind of thing if he puts up a good year. And I mean, I mean, I, I just think that free agent pitchers or whoever should be lining up to join the Blue Jays, given what yeah. Pete Walker's done with Robbie Ray. Like, quite honestly, it's, it should be such a huge selling point for the Jays. So even if Ray doesn't resign, he's too expensive, he wants to go somewhere else, whatever happens, the Jays have that advantage. They have a track record now of turning guys around. And I wonder if there's maybe a buy low pitcher they can find on the market that Walker can do his thing with. Who knows? Like, or a buy low pitcher in their own organization that they could try to turn around over the off season in one Nate Pearson. Correct. That's a, that's, that's another one we'd all love to see. We, it's funny that now we're talking about the future rotation. Nate Pearson's name isn't even mentioned. Well, I mean, it's, he had a good appearance in that first game of the series against Minnesota. He allowed the one hit, but he racked up three K's in his one inning of work. And I even noticed in, uh, in game two, they were up six two, and they had a chance to score some more in the bottom of the eighth. And they left a couple on, but they had Romano warming up and they had Pearson warming up as well. And I think they were ready to go back to him in that second game. If they would have gotten some, some runs in that bottom of the eighth and it wasn't just a four run game, mm-hmm. um, but he's been good. Like we've talked about it a few times now. I don't know. Maybe Pete Walker can work something with Nate Pearson now that he's up with the big club and maybe he can emerge as someone who, uh, who, who can, who can make a dent or make an impact in the rotation next season. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's really hard to say because the challenge with Pearson is that, just pretty much through his whole pro career dating back to the year he lost to that freak injury. And then you have last year that pretty much everyone lost because of COVID and no minor leagues. And then everything else, there's just been various injuries. This year has largely been wiped. I think he's going to finish the year with what, 30, 40, 50 innings kind of thing. Like it's just getting hard to imagine now if they can stretch him out and make him pitch 200 innings. Maybe the right play here now is to do a Tampa Bay Rays thing and have him be the bulk guy that comes in after an opener. And the goal is for him to pitch a hundred in it. And yeah. he's kind of a starter, kind of not like maybe that's the play. I don't know. I mean, I would all love for him to become an ace starter, but yeah, it's just, it, it's just hard to say. And the success of Alec Manoa this year almost makes that like not entirely disappointing. Like if you would have said a year ago, Hey, one of Manoa or Pearson is going to become, you know, or is going to show the potential to be an ace quality uh-huh. starter, you would have taken a 50% success rate on one of those two. If the other one just Easy. becomes serviceable, whether it's in the bullpen or like you said, as a bulk guy, like the Tampa Bay Rays like to do, um, we're getting a little bit sidetracked here. So we'll get back on with three up three down. Uh, the second one, I was really impressed with the series that Boba Shett had. Um, he had a massive hit in the series or a massive home run in the series finale there, um, hitting a two run shot over the uh, center right field wall. Um, that ended up being big. They won five, three on the back of that two run home run in, in the first inning and their offense didn't do anything the rest of the game. They missed some chances with runners in scoring position, but that Bichette home run in game three of the series and in game two of the series, he went three for four with two RBIs as well. And again, they won six, four. So he was a major player in that one as well. Really impressed with Bo Bichette at a time when Vladdy's getting all the MVP love and, and Semyon's getting talked about for the historic season he's having important to give some love to Bichette. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't love using RBIs as a stat. I mean, I think we've kind of moved past it a bit, but I think it's important to point out that Bo Bichette is 11th in Major League Baseball in RBIs with 97. He's going to eclipse 100 RBIs this year, which is nuts. He's got 26 dingers, 97 RBIs. He's got an OPS of 813. He's also stolen 22 bases. And I mean, it doesn't even feel like he's been as good as he can be just quite yet. It's amazing. Like, we talk about... Like you said, like Vlad's obviously the big story this year, probably going to finish second in MVP voting. Maybe he wins, depending on how the writers feel about the Angels being completely useless and what that does to Otani in voting. And then you also have, you know, like you said, again, uh, Marcus Semien, amazing season, 40 dingers, like an all-time great season for a 2B. And then you even also have Teoscar, who's now like third in Major League Baseball and RBIs. And it's like yeah. lost in all of that is Boba Shed, a fucking like 23-year-old shortstop who's going to eclipse 100 RBIs. That's nuts. It's insane. Like, it's insane. He is third amongst American League shortstops in OPS behind only Xander Bogarts and Carlos Correa. He's also fourth in batting average amongst American League shortstops as well and fifth amongst all major league shortstops in batting average. Um, He's having a great year. And it's funny the stuff that gets overshadowed when, when Vlad does his thing. Like, we had a game, I think it was that series against Tampa, where Hernandez racked up like five hits. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, we didn't really talk about it because Vlad hit a ball three feet off the ground that somehow went straight <laughs> over the left field wall, right? But a lot of really interesting storylines kind of get buried when a guy like Vlad is having a historic season that he does. And if Vlad's not doing it, Semyon is having one of the best seasons a second baseman's ever had as well. And Ray's a Cy Young candidate. But the list of great storylines and storylines that, quite frankly, we didn't even really see coming heading into this year is uh, has been just tremendous. Um the, our, our third up here, just again, circling back to those two really, really dynamite innings in those last two games against the Twins, the Jays only rack, or the Jays racked up 11 runs. Nine of them came in two innings. It was the uh, the fourth inning in game two. And in game three, it was the first inning where they exploded and they were able to kind of kick it into cruise control for the rest of the game. But that shows you how good this offense can be, right? One inning and the damage they can do in that three out span can be enough for them to win. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You 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 combine a lethal offense like this when your top five consists of Springer, Semi, and Vlad, Teoscar, and Bo. Like that five. Like there's nobody that has a better five than that. And you combine that with good pitching. It's like all this team really needs to do is explode once in a game. Like they did, you know, five runs in the first inning Sunday, four runs in the fourth inning on Saturday, and then the pitching just locks it down. Otherwise, it's yeah. it's a really good combination to have heading into the playoffs because. That's pretty much what baseball is at this point. It's fielding independent pitching now. It's getting a couple of guys on, smashing a home run, and then your pitching locks down the other team. And that's yep. why I think the Jays profile so well to go on a deep playoff run this year. Absolutely. Uh, let's get into the downs here. And the big one, Hunjin Ryu, he's, he's on the IL now for 10 days, even though the Jays say he's likely only going to miss one start or one trip through the rotation is kind of what they said. Um, he woke up with neck pain is what we're Ooh. being told. Uh-huh. That seems convenient. Yeah, that seems like a <laughs> seems like a shadow injury. Um, it was interesting because uh, I wrote about this on the website after his bad start, and the question kind of was, what do the Jays do with Hinjin Ryu? Like, it's too. He had that amazing start against the Yankees that was so clutch, and that sweep at the Bronx. He pitched six innings, allowed only three hits, nothing else. And then since then, he's been really bad. Like Baltimore lit him up, didn't look like he had any command of the zone whatsoever. He was just soft tossing and batting practice, and the guys were lighting him up. It was the same thing in Minnesota. I mean, you can give him a little bit more room for error i think in the twins start because as bad as the twins are they're a pretty good hitting team like they have a pretty lethal lineup but 
still like that's back-to-back starts where he couldn't get out of the third inning and at, at this point the Jays can't really have that like their bullpen isn't good enough to have every fifth day a guy going out and pitching two innings so that that puts him in an awkward situation it's like you know Ryu's supposed to be your ace he's getting paid 20 mil and I mean they don't really have a better option a great option behind to pitch I mean there's Ross Stripling but since he came off the IL, he hasn't been that great. Thomas Hatch on AAA is the next guy, and it's kind of like, uh. But the one positive thing about Ryu is that there was, um, I remember a time back in 2019 when he was with the Dodgers. He was, um, it was the year before he signed with Jays. He had a really good year that year, 2.32 ERA all told for a good chunk of the season. His ERA was in the ones, and then all of a sudden late, it was like August rolls around, and he's just getting pumped. There was a start. It, it kind of begins with a start against Atlanta. He allows four runs. And then start against the Yankees, he allows seven. Start against the Diamondbacks, he allows seven. And then, you know, a few more starts in September. And then they put him on the injured list. He doesn't start for 10 days. And after having four bad starts, he has a 10-day rest. He comes back, faces the Mets on the road, and does seven innings, two hits, no earned runs. And then his starts for the rest of the season that year, it was seven innings, seven innings, seven innings, three runs all told. So the hope here is that let's give Ryu 10 days off. Let him rest. You know, he's not the most durable guy. He's dealt with a whole wealth of injuries in his career. We know how badly this guy needs extra rest. Get him good. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he only starts one more game at the end of the season as a tune-up, and hopefully that's that gets him good for the playoffs, right? I mean, that's all you can do. You can't, like, this injury feels like a phantom injury for that sake. They yeah. want to give him a rest because he's gassed. And I'm pretty confident that with 10 days off, he'll come back and be fine. In a best of five playoff series, how are you using him? If we get to that point, I'm blue skying it. Obviously, like he's clearly not their wild card starter. And I would say he's fourth on the list. So would you even necessarily need him to be like a conventional starter in a a best of five playoff ALDS? I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, let's say he, he gets this 10 days off. So he went on the injured list yesterday. That was the 19th of September. He comes back on the 29th. That gives them a few more days to mix yeah. him in somewhere. They have that end of season series against the Orioles in October. That's probably the ideal spot to give him a chance. I'm not sure. I mean, he has pitched the Yankees really well, too. And there's yeah. a series against New York right before that that might be like really important. So you see how he does in that in that start. And then with the playoffs, you're probably going to have a little bit of extra rest too, because he's not your wild card guy. So if he pitches really well upon return, and then you can give him six, seven days off between that start and his next start, then I have no problem using him in the division series. But as of right now, until he proves otherwise, he's their number five. Matt's is their number four. I mean, he's not in line to to start a playoff game for the Jays at this point right now. Um, unless, I mean unless there's some change in strategy and it's a scenario where like, cause you're obviously going Ray Barrios Manoa for three. Right. And yeah. then maybe in that fourth game, if you're like, okay, like can't go back to, you know, Ray already in game four, although maybe you fucking could. Maybe you can. Um, but if in game four, maybe it's a situation where you're just like, you know what? We know Ryu can't get us past a second time through the order. Mm-hmm. So we're just committing to going him, then Pearson for two innings, and then yeah. figure it out with the bullpen, whether it's stripling, whatever you got to do. Like that last one might end up just being like a patchwork start of like different yeah. fucking guys because you can't trust well, Henry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it could yeah, be, be in there as well. it depends on where Pearson's used in the series as a reliever, but your game four could be Pearson for two innings because let's say they're facing Tampa Bay here, which seem it's pretty much inevitable, right? So if they get through the division series, it's Tampa. So in game four, Pearson's pitched Tampa, or yeah, Pearson's pitched Tampa quite well. Maybe you do two innings of Pearson, three innings of Ryu, and then you're through five. And then maybe you try and get something out of Mats too. 
yeah. I don't know. They have a ton of options. Like there's there's a lot of ways to go here. And I think yeah. circling back to talking us talking about Nate Pearson, him being effective is such a game changer. Like using him as an opener right before Ryu, they're so different. Like, yeah, and that could really really right? work well. Like yeah, it could be it could be the perfect combination, honestly. So I mean, like I said though, is so long as Ryu comes back after his ten day phantom injury and looks good in his next start, then I'm not too worried. But if he comes back and he struggles again, then I don't even know if he's on the division series roster if they get there. Fuck. It's almost like <laughs> reminiscent. It's almost like reminiscent of R.A. Dickey in those playoff runs, hey? Yeah. And Mark Burley as well. It was the same yeah. thing. Like I remember twenty fifteen, Burley towards the end of the year, they wanted so bad to get him to two hundred innings and he just could not pitch. And yeah. that ended up costing them. The Jays um it was those extra Burley starts that John Gibbons kept giving them that um resulted in them finishing below Kansas City in the standings and them not hosting the ALCS. Like mm. the Jays have to there's no room for error here. They have to keep throwing out their best and trying to win every single game. And right now, Ryu is not giving them a chance to win. So uh, I would give them after this injury one more chance. And if not, then if mm-hmm. uh, let's keep going on three up three down here. The second down, the Jays were just five for twenty-eight with runners in scoring position in the first game. They went 0 for 5, and they left a couple of guys in scoring position with two outs as well. Um, Like I said on the series, batting 178 with runners in scoring position, like I talked about in Game 2, they had a chance in the 8th to blow it open and not have to use Jordan Romano. And they ended up having to use Jordan Romano. And then same thing in sort of that in that second game where, yeah, you go up 5 nothing in the first, that's awesome, but you don't score for the next 7 at-bats or 7 innings. And it's like you went 3 for 12 with runners in scoring position, the best they did in the series, but hey, you could have eked out another hit there. You might not have had to use Jordan Romano again. And you could have been keeping an important reliever fresh early in the year and pretty much throughout the entire season up until like mid-August. The Jays couldn't hit in the clutch. They couldn't get a clutch hit. And I'm hoping that that bad habit is probably not the right word, but that bad trend isn't starting to creep back in. Are you concerned about it at all? Or you just think it's one of those sort of ebb, ebb and flow type of things where they'll be great for a while. They'll be below average. They'll be great for a while. They'll be below average. Yeah, I think the key is the Jays are really at their best when the guys in the bottom of the order are hitting, right? Like yeah. the real, like we we talked a million times about the big five. The big five are pretty much always going to produce, and then it's all right. What are the four guys after that do? What's Grichuk, Dickerson, Valera, Lamb, Guriel, Jansen, Kirk, whatever combination of them? Yeah. What are they going to do? And in this series, they didn't get a hell of a lot from the bottom of the order. I mean, in the second game. Guriel, 0 for 4. Valera, 1 for 2. Grichuk, 0 for 4. Reese McGuire, 0 for 1. Then he gets pinch hit. You know, Jansen also goes 0 for 1. In the second game, the only guy in the bottom of the order that did anything was Guriel, had a 2 for 4 day, and then Valera had a hit as well. But that's the key, is if they go from being a very good to an elite offense when these guys are coming through. And that actually ties perfectly into... It does. The next thing that we want to talk about is Alejandro Kirk's never starting games anymore. I don't know what that's all about. It's weird. Yeah, that's our third down here. Um, man, yeah, I, I don't understand why Kirk's not playing more. Like, I get the defensive side of things. Yeah. Uh, I just... I guess? I mean, really, I mean... That's, uh, that's he, the only that explanation. Is he that bad defensively? I don't he, think so. That bad? Like, Jansen, I, I can understand why Danny Jansen was getting some looks because he had been pretty hot since coming yeah. off the injured list, but we're just seeing Kirk exclusively used in the pinch hitting situation right now, which is really unfortunate. I mean, I understand that he can't be DHing because Springer can't play in the field. So Springer's got a DH, which is an unfortunate circumstance for Charlie Montoya to deal with. It's mm-hmm. kind of a pain in the ass, but that's life. You want George Springer in the lineup, but I just don't understand how in a three game series, we're not seeing Alejandro Kirk start a single game once. 
And I mean, he's such a key catalyst. Like when the Jays have their deepest, strongest lineup, it's because Alejandro Kirk is batting like seventh or eighth. And that's a very difficult out for a pitcher who has just navigated through. Yeah. Oh, Vlad, Teoscar, Semyon, Springer, and Guriel to come up and face Alejandro Kirk after all of that, right? I just, I don't really understand why they're waiting to use him as a pinch hitter. It's, it's weird. Like, I would be doing the reverse. Back. I'd be having yeah. Kirk in the lineup for the first six innings of the game. Then after he hits for the third time, if it's, you know, 5-3 like it was, or 5-2 like it was heading into the seventh in, uh, in game three or when it got tight uh-huh. in game two, then you go, okay, Kirk has now hit three times. If he gets on, pinch run for Dyson, bring Jansen into the game. Boom, you got your best defensive lineup for the final three innings. But I agree, like, Kirk's defense is not enough for me to sit there and go, I don't want that bad in the lineup. And you nailed it with the Springer point. Life would be easy if George Springer was 100% healthy. He's clearly not. If we wanted to add another down, it would be the fact that George Springer didn't have a hit in that three-game series against the Minnesota Twins. The only time he got on base is when he walked. He's clearly not 100%. And I... I don't know, man. I just wish there was a scenario where Kirk could play more, and I think they need to do a better job of mixing him in here. I get the defense, but it's not enough for me. Yeah, I agree. If if in this Tampa series upcoming that we're not seeing Kirk start games, it'll be kind of a what the fuck is happening? Like yeah. <laughs> we need this guy, we need this guy playing a full game. We need him batting three or four times in a game. It's a game yeah. changer for the lineup. I mean, Jansen was hot, yes, but no, it is not the same thing having Danny Jansen come up that it is having Alejandro Kirk come up. Alejandro Kirk consistently has good at bats. That isn't necessarily the case with Jansen or McGuire, but I mean McGuire hasn't been playing as much either, so whatever. But yeah. we all want the we all want the Kirk locomotive in the game. That's what we want. We want him playing. We all do. We love him. There's no, large chance. Son. there's no chance we see Springer in center field again this season, right? Like, there's, like I'm just looking like, I mean, if you clinch before that final series against Baltimore, which is unlikely, like if you gave him five or six days off, could you find a way to squeeze? Is there a chance he could get up to healthy? But it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. When was the last time we saw him play in the field? I can't remember. Like, I have I have no memory of like, let's, I'm just um, looking back. I think wasn't it, was. it one of. One is, wasn't it one of those Yankee games in early September where he went down? No, no, there wasn't. It that. was in Seattle. It was. I'm just looking at his uh, baseball reference page. It was oh, the yeah. game that he got hurt in Seattle. That was it. He hasn't been in center field since. He's DH'd exclusively since then. It's too bad, man. I mean, I'm happy to have his bat in the lineup, but mm-hmm. he also, again, didn't get a hit in this series. So, like, is George Springer helping you right now? I He, he could snap out of it. And, like, yeah. when he gets going, he'll be fine. I'm not saying take him out of the lineup, but, like... no. I mean, if, if you think there's a chance that if you like rest him for the four gamer against the twins and go, listen, we can try win without him here. Maybe you have a good series against Tampa and you go, okay, let's just try to rest him for five days against the twins and see where the leg gets to this team's best chance of going on a deep playoff run is probably with Springer in center field and Kirk being able to DH. Yeah. So maybe if things get better for the Jays down the stretch and it's not quite as tight, the Yankees continue losing games and there's a bit more room for error. I think you can live with resting Springer a bit more. But right now, I don't know if I'd, even though he had a bad series there, he is the kind of guy who at any given time can just pop off and hit the most important home run of the season. Right. Like, you know, he's had those, he's had those, those huge home runs where it's just like, you didn't, it was even the, the, the game against Baltimore, right? Like he wasn't, he didn't have a huge game. It was just all of a sudden he hit that clutch home run. That's just what he does. Yeah. And that's fair. Actually, kind of ironically, he doesn't. I'm looking at his uh, I'm looking at his game log right now. He doesn't have an RBI since that uh, go ahead home run in Baltimore on 9/11. So it's been like over a week. But I wouldn't take him out personally. Not until they're a little bit more established in this playoff race. 
Uh, let's get to some other interesting stuff here we saw in the series. Uh, that was three up, three down, presented by Twig and Berries. Check them out, twigandberries.ca. Free shipping in Canada on orders over $75. Uh, the Donaldson home run, that was cool, even though it hurt the Jays. I liked watching Josh Donaldson back at the Dome. I was a big JD fan when he was here uh-huh. with the Blue Jays, and then seeing him and Vladdy do their little jersey swap after, that was a cool moment as well. It's, um, <laughs> I had a really weird feeling uh, that at some point in this series, we were going to see Josh Donaldson uh, hit a home run off of Julian Merriweather, but it didn't happen. Okay. And that's good because <laughs> people would have been really fucking pissed off. The whole uh, sentiment on Friday night was that uh, we, we kind of circled back to the Donaldson trade discussion, which is something we haven't had in a long time. And it's it's still a little confounding that the team, the front office was in such a rush to get into him. I, I, I do find it to be one of the more puzzling things they've ever done. I mean, I, I think I've largely been in favor of a good chunk of the things the front office has done. I mean, they've, they've made their moves that have sucked, right? Like the Jay Happ trade, what they got back there was awful, different trades like that. But the Donaldson one really is one that I think is kind of bizarre. It, it seems like they do have this gaping hole at third base and they had the solution to it this whole time. I know that Donaldson was a bit of an enigma because of his calf injuries. But I mean, the deals that he's signed, like, were never particularly expensive. Like, uh, I mean, I, I really do like Merriweather as a prospect. He, he, when he's healthy, he's fantastic. But yeah. I, I still, I'm, I'm still puzzled by the decision not to offer him the qualifying offer that year. I still think it's kind of weird, but whatever, what's done is done. The reality is, is that Josh Donaldson's gone. They didn't want him around. They wanted to rebuild with young guys and give them a yeah. chance to do X, Y, and Z in the locker room, blah, blah, blah. But it was a weird thing, but it was nice to see him finally come back to Toronto and kind of get the ovation that he deserved because, you know, when he did make his return in, what was it, 2019 with Atlanta, 2018, yeah. whatever it was, nobody gave a shit because the team was so bad and nobody was paying attention. So it was nice to see him come back to an environment in which he could, you know, get his applause. And the thing he did with Blad, that was super cool. Them switching jerseys, that was one of the coolest moments we've seen all season. As you all know, it is scoreboard watching season in the majors, and uh, it was an interesting weekend in that perspective. Baltimore <laughs> fucking sucks, so like that was predictable that the Red Sox found a way to win those. Um, but Cleveland really came through. Cleveland coming through for Mark Shapiro. They did. Uh, Shapiro and Atkins, old boys, the Cleveland Guardians came through and. They didn't just beat the Yankees. They beat the shit out of the Yankees in those last two games. I mean, New York came into that series. And uh, on Friday night, and they won eight nothing, and that was the same day the Jays lost with Ryu getting lit up by everyone in Minnesota, and that was ugly. The Jays flipped out of a playoff spot, and the next two days, Cleveland goes and wins eleven three and eleven to one. And the funniest part of this, and you saw this video, right? The um, yeah, <laughs> it shows. So Garrett Cole got pounded for. I think he went like five innings and allowed seven earned runs, and this is huge for Robbie Ray in the Cy Young race, but. In this context, it was hilarious because he's on the mound and I think Aaron Boone's out there with him and they're chatting and you see him turn around and look at the scoreboard and the Jays are up like five, nothing in the second inning. And he just audibly yells, fuck. And you just hear yeah. it on the broadcast. It was so fucking funny. So good. It was amazing. So good. But thank goodness for Cleveland because, because uh, the, yeah. Jays, the Jays definitely need this cushion right now because the series coming up is going to be hard. Yeah. And the Yankees are now going down to Texas to play the Rangers who are really bad. And they're now a game and a half above the Yanks. And it's like, all right, we got a pretty good cushion here. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if the Yanks pull off a sweep in Texas and the Jays lose two against um, Tampa Bay, then we're still in a pretty good spot. Cleveland came through quite well for us. 
Um, just taking a peek here at, at the standings. Oakland, two games back of the Jays. They're seven and three, and they've won five, seven and three in their last ten, and they've won five in a row. So Oakland making a little bit of a charge here. The interesting thing about the A's, though, is looking at their schedule. They only play the Mariners and Astros for the rest of the season. They have four this week against Seattle, weekend set in or against Houston, and then they're in Seattle on the road for three and in Houston on the road for three to close up the season. Seattle and Oakland are, I think, in all likelihood, just going to cancel each other out here. They're, I don't think Oakland's going to win all seven of those. I think mm-hmm. even if Oakland goes like five and two or four and three, that's probably not enough to keep pace, never mind gain two games on the Blue Jays here. I'm not viewing Oakland as much of a threat, even though they are like ridiculously hot right now. Let's also keep in mind that their wins, they took, I mean, they dropped two or three to Texas and then they took two or three from Kansas city, then swept the angels. So like they haven't been beating good teams and they play nothing but good teams down the stretch here. Yeah. Seattle's pesky. They play Seattle seven times. I have a very hard time imagining Oakland beating Seattle seven times. Like Seattle's not bad. They are bad, but they're not bad. Like they're, they're, they're well, they're not bad, but like you said, game. they're pesky and annoying, and they're gonna they're gonna find a way to grind out two or three of those games. They will. Yeah, like they're they're good enough to win a few games there, and then Houston, they're good. Like the Astros are really good. The Oakland plays yeah. the Astros six times. They're not gonna go like five and one against the Astros, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, it really is between. Um, it's between Toronto, Boston, and New York. And the other nice thing we have coming up is that when the Jays are in Minnesota playing the Twins is the Red Sox and Yankees are playing each other. So it's another one of those cancel each other out situations. Let's say the Yankees sweep and we're like, oh, that's not ideal because now the Yankees can leapfrog the Jays. Well, that means that the Red Sox have been swept and they've lost three in a row and then vice versa, same thing. Oh, the Red Sox swept, but that means they're moving up. The Jays have to blah, blah, blah to host the wildcard game. But it also means the Yankees have fallen back. And if they do get swept by the Red Sox, then, I mean, they're probably pretty much out of it. Like that would kill them. Like any team in this situation getting swept by anybody else puts a massive dent in their opportunity to make the playoffs. Right. So those two teams facing each other is is a pretty good thing for the Jays, especially if they can go into Minnesota and take care of business against, as we saw, a wildly mediocre team. The other thing here, I'm looking at the Texas Rangers recent results. And I mean, they haven't been great. Obviously, they're the Texas Rangers Um, in their last 10 games. They're four and six, though. And they haven't been swept in a series since uh, they haven't been swept yet in September. And you can go back. They weren't swept since Seattle, I think, back in the middle of August. So, like, Texas can be pesky as well. And I don't think this is like an auto sweep for the New York Yankees, which is good news for the Jays, considering they have to go and play the Tampa Bay Rays. And I mean, hopefully they can take two or three from the Rays, but even that might be wishful thinking at this point. And the Yankees are also going to end the season with three against the Rays as well. So things don't get Mm -hmm. easy at all for the New York Yankees. No, the Jays. Yeah, no, the, the, the Yankee schedule is a little bit difficult here and then not taking advantage of Cleveland. One of their more mediocre opponents is like a very unfortunate one for them because at the top of my head, so it's Texas for the Yankees, then it's Boston. And I know at the end of September, the Yankees come to Toronto, play the Jays. That's the first time they're going to be in Toronto in like two years. And then it's Tampa at the end of the season for them. And while they're playing Tampa, the Jays are playing Baltimore. So we do have the better schedule here. I think at this point in the head to head between Boston and New York, we're cheering for Boston. And we're cheering for them to sink the Yankees. That's, that's the goal. I think. Yeah, it's hard to argue on either side of it, really. Um, if you're from the side of wanting the Jays to not just make the wild card game, but have home field advantage, then you're probably rooting for the Yankees just because if the Jays win the game in hand they have on New York, they're going to be two games up on them. 
So even if the Yankees were to sweep the Red Sox and the Jays were to split against Minnesota, you're still going to be like a game up on the Yankees and you would be gaining a couple on, on Boston as well. So if you want the Jays to host a wild card game, you're rooting for the Yankees. If you just want the Jays to get in no matter what, and that's priority, which probably should be, because I mean, the Jays can hit at Fenway. I'm not too concerned about that. Um, then yeah, you're obviously rooting for the Red Sox. And I mean, if we're talking from the perspective of getting to rest some guys in that final series against Baltimore, then yeah, having the Yankees get sunken out of the race earlier is obviously better. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a look at the out of town scoreboard there. Quickly here, we've been going a long time, Coombsy. This is going to be one of our longest podcasts in a while Lots to here. talk about. Lots going on. Yeah, no kidding. Um, let's get to what is coming up next, and it is brought to you by our new friends at the Sports Closet. Check them out online, sportscloset.ca. They do ship as well, so go on there. I'm I'm, I'm on the site right now. going to go see what kind of Blue Jays gear they got. 24 different jerseys that you can pick from, from youth, wow. kids, child, to, of course, men's and women's sizes as well. I see a nice, crisp, white Bo Bichette jersey that looks uh, pretty nice. They got all the new Nike styles in there as well. Vladdy, Ryu, Springer, Bichette, you name them. Sports Closet has got them. So check out our new friends at sportscloset.ca and get hooked up. Get ready to go. Hopefully you got some new gear to rock during the Jays playoff run. Uh, it's three at Tampa Bay. We're going to the trop. I'm still nervous about going to the trop, man. Always. Always. Fuck this place. It's, it's impossible not to be. I fucking hate the trop. I hate the Rays. I hate dealing with them. But, you know, the Jays proved last week, and it's a totally different animal when you're playing yeah. in Toronto versus playing in Tampa. I am aware of this. But the Jays proved on last week when they hosted the Rays that they are on the same level as Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is not unbeatable. They are a very good team, but they're not you know, they're not impossible to beat. I think they're what, like four and six in their last 10 games. I mean, they're, they, they're the best team in the American league right now, but since the Jays have gone nuclear and they figured their stuff out and they came home and got comfortable. I mean, I wouldn't say that the Rays are heads and tails better than the Jays. There's no way. And we, we have, again, just like last time, it's a pretty favorable pitching matchup for Toronto as well. Robbie Ray starts the opener and then Alec Manoa comes in for game two. We have no idea who's starting game three yet. We'll touch on that in a minute. And then on the other side of that, Tampa is debuting one of their hot shot pitching prospects. One of the many guys they got, in that hilarious fleecing of the Pittsburgh Pirates they had when they traded Chris Archer away right before he imploded. They got back Austin Meadows and they got back. Fuck, there was another pitcher too. And then the third one is Shane Baz, who's probably arguably the best pitching prospect in Major League Baseball. Down in the minors this season, he has 17 starts, a 2.06 ERA. He's striking out 12.9 guys per nine. He's walking 1.5 guys per nine. This guy's really fucking good. But he's going up against the guy who is potentially going to win the Cy Young, right? So... We're not going to say that Tampa Bay has the pitching advantage in a game in which they're starting a rookie over the likely Cy Young winner, right? So between Ray and Manoa starting one and two, you think you're you're going to at least win a game in this series, right? And that's that's kind of what we want. You're fine with going, I think, one and two in Tampa. It's fine. Um, Tyler Glasnow was the name you were forgetting in that Chris Archer trade. Yeah, he's out for the year. Completely forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hilarious trade. Yeah, it's so fucking funny, man. Um, Ray versus Baz, Manoa versus Rasmussen. Yeah, I like the pitching matchup for both these. In that third game, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be going with Michael Waka, who the Jays have hit around recently. Um, Who would you go with if you're Toronto here? Do you give... Do you go Pearson, Pearson opener and then to Stripling? 
That's hard. It, 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 it depends on how the first two starts go, right? Like, let's say Ray and Manoa both go seven innings, which is entirely possible. And you can get through games, you know, one and two using like three relievers, Romano, Meza, Simber, Richards, whatever, like those four, three or four. And then you haven't used Pearson at all. Then maybe the play is, yeah, Pearson goes two innings, starts things off, and then it's Thomas Hatch or it's Stripling. That's fine. Like you get, you know, two innings out of Pearson, three innings out of Stripling, and I think that's pretty good. I think that might be the way to go. I don't know if I want to start Stripling and hope he can go five innings. I don't. I think that might be a bit of a fool's errand, especially against the Rays. They're a very good hitting team, and they're an even better hitting team when they're at the fucking Trob, yeah. where they're just you know they're they have their weird devil magic and they do their thing. But you know Stripling's a perfectly fine number six stand-in option. I just think that you can give yourself a better chance to win if you use an opener in that situation. The Jays won't be back at the Dome until the 28th of September, but some interesting news that's coming along right now. Rob Longley of the Sun sending out per source, Blue Jays in holding pattern in quest for expanded capacity at Rogers Center for final homestand and potential playoffs. Still hopeful for a bump, but awaiting provincial government clearance. And uh, Mitch Bannon as well, who's a Blue Jays reporter for SI Now, he's reporting the Blue Jays just sent out updated health protocols for September 28th and beyond home games, including potential postseason. Proof of full vaccination will be required for all fans 12 and up. And in quotes, he adds, a negative COVID-19 test result will no longer be accepted, except for individuals with a doctor's note. So, so it sounds like I, I, to me, the only reason the Jays would be doing that and saying no more negative test, it has to be vaccination. Yeah. That sounds like something that might come from health officials in a, you want more people get, get more strict. Yeah. I mean, if word just came out today that the Leafs and the Raptors are expecting to do full capacity with proof of double vaccination. And those are totally, yeah, those are totally indoor, like 20,000 people at the Arcandas or the Scotiabank, whatever the fuck it's called now. Uh, (laughs) um, There's 20,000 people inside, right? And I mean, the Jays, you know, we were at the game. You're sitting there and you're looking, the 500s are totally empty. How could you not do some kind of spread out and at least put it up to like 25,000, right? Like you think that should be doable for the time, potentially the wild card (laughs) game rolls around. You'd like to have more than 15,000 people there for a fucking playoff game, like get it up to 25 or 30,000. I can understand why you wouldn't be able to execute 50. I Um, I can see that. Hazel May is saying, uh, also hearing they're looking at an increase from 15,000 to 35,000. And the thing that blew my mind being at the game unless you're in one of those socially distanced pods, you're right. Like there's 15,000. That's the in air quotes, capacity they're allowed, but the entire upper deck is empty and pretty much the second deck is empty as well. So it's just kind of like, you know, if you're okay jamming everyone shoulder to shoulder in like eight sections behind home plate, why can we not open up the second deck? Even if you say like, if you don't want them like crossing over, like if you have an upper deck seat, you go in this entrance and you go right upstairs and you don't like cross between the lower bowl and the mm-hmm. upper bowl like the 500 level but like fuck me for the playoffs you should be able to make some sort of rule here to get that building a little bit more rocking and the atmosphere was great this weekend i'm not saying it wasn't but it's just weird to me when you have this limit of 15,000 and you jam them all into eight sections like that almost defeats the purpose of the whole thing i almost wonder if a lot of this comes down to rogers and stadium management 
wanting to kind of centralize and shrink the amount of staff they have on for construction. That's what I would guess it is. Like we're all jammed into pretty much the same area. So you can't really argue it's a COVID health thing, right? Like yeah. where we were, right? It was all packed. Like you, you, the, the, the beer lines are busy as fuck. The bathrooms are all full. You're sitting right next to somebody. And if they open up the top area, the 500s for like, I don't know, however many thousand people and it's not full, they probably don't want to have full concessions. I don't know. Like, yeah. it, it, I would imagine that's part of the consideration. But in the playoffs, I, I you know it's going to be full. Yeah, you know that if you make it 35 it's going to be 35,000 yeah. people there. You're, you're, you're going to sell out those playoff games. There's no way they're not. So I don't know. Let, 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 let's hope that, I mean, we're getting so far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. Let's hope they fucking host the wild card game and get into the DS. And if they do get there, which the both of us think they will, let's be real here, that it goes up to 35,000. So it's easier for me to get a ticket. Because otherwise, it's going to be really fucking hard. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to make another weekend trip out there, Coombsy. Uh, on that note, we will wrap up episode 47 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Shout out to DoorDash, Twig and Berries, and our new friends at the Sports Closet. I got a nice, crisp, white, flatty Guerrero jersey. Hello. Looks beautiful. Get yours. Sportscloset.ca. Coombsy, hopefully they take two or three and exercise their demons at the trop. We will talk after this one. Hopefully they sweep the Rays. Fuck the Rays. Fuck Tampa. Fuck the trop. Fuck all of it. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 